Ruth chapter 4. We are nearing the end of this book that we've been going through for some time now, and we are going to look at verses 1 through 12 today. Uh, You can find that on page 415 of your pew Bibles. And what we're going to see today is really a continuation of where we left off last week with with Boaz and um, the proposal. So let's look at Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and Ruth, the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have, brought, have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Milan. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Milan's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring of the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it discover that they too have a Redeemer willing to purchase them from their sins. I want to begin my message today with a question. And my question is this. What are you obligated to do? What are you obligated to do? In life, it it seems that there's always a, a certain set of requirements. Am I right? For example, if you are a student in, in a school, what's expected of you? Do your homework, obey your teachers, 
follow all the, the school's rules of conduct? Or say you worked for a company like Paragon. You know, what, what does it take to become a model employee there? You probably need to show up on time for work, right? To do the tasks that your, your boss would have you do in a timely manner. To be courteous to all the other employees there. But, but these obligations, they, they can only go so far, right? I mean, there, there are certain things that, that we're not required to do. For instance, that, that same student, well, she's, or he, might not be obligated to tutor all the other fellow students that they have, even if they're getting, the lower, getting lower grades than her. Or similar, she, she might not be required to maybe like everyone in the school. Maybe there's some people she doesn't like. She's not obligated to like them. Or after school's out, she's not required to go to her teacher's house and do chores for, for him, right? Likewise, the, the employee at Paragon, you know, he's, he's not obligated to clock in early before he's scheduled to work. He, he's not required to do jobs that he hasn't been trained to do. And once he does clock out, you know, he's, he's no longer obligated to do his boss's bidding. You see, in most things in life, there, there are limits to what we must and must not do. There are boundaries to our obligations. And society can only ask so much from you before it crosses the line. And when it, when it does, well then, it becomes a sacrifice on our part, Right? It's this issue of obligation that, that we're going to look at in our passage for today. We are now in our fifth week of our study of this book entitled Ruth, a book that, if you remember, highlights three themes. First, there is God's providence, how, how he works through the, the ordinary things in life to accomplish his purposes. Second, there, there is God's hesed love, a, a love that is loyal a love that is kind, a love that shows mercy. And finally, there is God's redemption, how he restores that which is broken, how he mends that which is, is lost. And we have seen these themes work themselves out in this remarkable, remarkable journey of a widow named Naomi. If you remember, this, this woman had lost everything. Husband, sons, and even her wealth. She, she was a, a broken soul who was without hope. And because of her brokenness, she, she developed a bitter heart towards her God. And yet, it was her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who began to restore that hope that Naomi once had. And she did so through her fierce determination to love this woman even though it was a sacrifice to her. And it just happened that through one of these acts of love, acts of kindness, that, that, that she found herself gleaning in the, in the field of a man named Boaz, who, by the way, was a close relative of Naomi's dead husband, Elimelech. Now, Boaz was a God-fearing man who also demonstrated this hesed love. And he blessed both Ruth and Naomi by making sure that Ruth's gleaning efforts would not, would not go unrewarded. 
And so Naomi, when, when Ruth came home to Naomi, it was to Naomi's shock that she found her carrying this large basket full of barley just after one day's gleaning. And when Naomi heard that it was in Boaz's field, it was at that moment that Naomi's heart began to melt, began to soften towards God. For this generous man was also a kinsman redeemer, one who had the power to restore, restore both her and her dead husband's name. Naomi understood this kindness she understood this newfound hope as to be coming from the hand of God himself. It was God's providence that led Ruth to that field that day. Well, Naomi, she would not sit idly by. Instead, she took the bull by the horns and she sent her daughter-in-law, Ruth, to the threshing floor in the middle of the night in order that, that Ruth might propose to this Boaz. And this was a, a risky plan on her part for, for it broke all the societal norms. And yet she had faith that this kinsman, redeemer, that he would do what was right and marry Ruth. But when Ruth proposed, we discovered that there was another. Another kinsman redeemer. Another man who was, who was nearer to Elimelech than Boaz was. And so Boaz would have to go to him first in order to resolve this matter. And this is where we left off last Sunday. In suspense. In wonder. I mean, who was this other kinsman redeemer? And what would he do? Would he redeem Naomi? Would he marry Ruth? Or would he defer to Boaz? The fates of both, of the, both of these women were now in his hands. Well, whatever the outcome would be, we knew one thing was certain. That Boaz, this man who was full of love for these women, he would not rest until the matter was settled that day. Well, let's see how it turned out. Look at, look at Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Now this setting that Boaz finds himself in is really in great contrast to the setting that we had last week in which everything took place in, in the secret of the night. For what we find here is, is a public setting in the bright of day. The, the secret longings of Naomi and Ruth will now be exposed as we see Boaz creating this, what is a public event trying to secure the redemption of these two women. Boaz would make certain that this matter was settled that day, and he would do it both legally and publicly. And what better location to do that than the town gate? For the, the, the town gate was, was the place within these small towns during that time where, where everyone would walk through during the day. 
including this kinsman redeemer. And it was also a place where, there, 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 where all legal matters were typically settled. For it provided a, a wide enough area for people to, to gather together. And this is exactly what we find in our story. Boaz, along with, these, with this other redeemer and as well as the ten elders, they're sitting together in order to do business. Now, who are these, these other elders? Well, they would have been other leading men in the town who would have comprised the, the heads of the different families, the local families. They would have been respected leaders within that community, just as Boaz was. And the reason Boaz had asked them to sit was because he wanted them to act as official witnesses. Now, they were not there to judge or to decide on this matter. They were only there to bear witness. And yet, there was a matter that needed to be settled, right? Needed to be settled between these two men. A matter concerning the family rights of inheritance. And so witnesses were needed to prevent any future claims or disputes. And now that they were all together, let's see what Boaz did. Look Look at verses 3 and 4. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our father Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Here we see the, the shrewdness of Boaz as he wisely began this matter by mentioning the inheritance, by mentioning the land. He, he wanted to get this man's attention. He wanted to start thinking about what, what, what a profitable endeavor this might be for him. He even suggested that this man should buy the land. Make it official. But what, what Boaz neglected to mention at first and what he remained silent about was the matter concerning Ruth. And, and we'll see why in a moment. But first, let, let's discuss what, what Boaz meant when he said that Naomi was selling this piece of land. This land that belonged to her husband Elimelech. This really comes from our first scripture reading that, that Rick read earlier. Look at, look at Leviticus 25, verses 25 through 28 once more. If your countryman becomes poor and sells some of his property to his nearest relative, sells some of his property, his nearest relative is to come and redeem what his countryman has sold. If, however, a um, a man has no one to redeem it for him, but he himself prospers and acquires sufficient means to redeem it. He is to determine the value for the years since he sold it and refund the balance to the man to whom he sold it. He can then go back to his own property. But, but if he does not acquire the means to repay him, what he sold will remain in possession of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. It will be returned in the Jubilee. And he can then go back to his property. <clears throat> so here's the thing. 
as the, the nearest relative to Elimelech, this, this kinsman redeemer had the opportunity to purchase this land, making sure that Naomi would not suffer impoverishment. For assumed in this deal would have been the care for Naomi as well. To, to buy the field from her would mean that she would now be his responsibility, that she would be in his care. Now she would get the profits from the sale, which would help for the care of Naomi, but most likely she would end up living with his family until her death. Well, for this, this man, this seemingly was a great deal. I mean, for, for however much money it was, whether it was a little or a lot, and for the care of this elderly woman, he could not only increase his land, leading to years of productive harvest, but also it would increase his status among the townsmen as well. For, for he is acting as a kinsman redeemer. He is redeeming this woman. And so in his mind, this was a great thing to take on for Elimelech. His, his line would end with Naomi. She was too old to have any more children. And, and so during the year of Jubilee, there would be no heir in order to give the land back to, thus increasing this man's own inheritance for his own children. And this is why there is no surprise when this man says yes so quickly. But before he could make it official, Boaz added in this one caveat. Look at verse 5. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Boaz now informed his kinsmen that along with the property came also the purchase of the Moabitess Ruth, who would essentially fill in for Naomi as a substitute for Elimelech's widow. And this is what we read about last week when we looked at Deuteronomy 25 concerning leveret marriages. Verse, verses 5 and 6, it says this. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. Now this near kismen was, was most likely not Elimelech's brother, even though our author uses that word in the text. More likely he was a, a close cousin of some sort. And so he was not obligated to Naomi in this way, as a brother-in-law would be. But what we do see going on here is that Naomi was making a stipulation in the selling of her land. That Ruth would now fill in for her as the widow. And that whoever purchased this land would now bear the responsibility of a brother-in-law. This was a condition that she deemed necessary in order to continue the name of her dead husband, Elimelech. And so when Boaz mentioned this to this other kinsman, that he would acquire Ruth as well in order to maintain the name of the dead, implied with this statement 
was the fact that this near kinsman would then have to sire a son for Ruth. And then that son, when he came of age, and then on the year of Jubilee, the land would revert back to him. Well, this sweet deal wasn't looking so sweet anymore, was it? And that was the brilliance of Boaz. What, what, what Boaz was doing is he was setting this man up for a great fall. He, 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 was getting, he got him to only think about the wealth he could attain. He even suggested, you should buy this. It would be a great deal for you. And then he yanked the stool out from underneath him, right? Only to crash to the floor. You see, Boaz was hoping to get this, this knee-jerk reaction from this man. He, he wanted him to solely focus on profit only and not on any of the other aspects that, that came with this deal. He wanted a quick yes followed by a quick no. Well, the moment of truth had arrived and this man would have to make a decision. What would he do? Would he, would he take the loss and, and, and marry Ruth? Would he be that redeemer to both her and Naomi? Or would he defer to Boaz? Look at verse 6. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. As rapidly as this man said yes, he was just as hasty in his decision to back off. For he had quickly realized that, that rather than increase in his inheritance, his inheritance would dwindle. For, for he would not only spend money on a field that, that now might not make a profit for him, but he would also be taking care of this elderly widow along with Ruth and any future sons that she had. And not to mention that, that, that these sons that he would bear to Ruth would now be laying claim to his own inheritance. The first son would gain the land of Elimelech, but all the following sons would now stake claim to what he already owned. And this would not only affect him, but his children as well. Here's the thing. Before we throw shade on this man, before we condemn him, we have to remember that he was not obligated to redeem. This, this wasn't a situation where he was the closest, a close, close brother to Elimelech. He was just the closest kinsman available. And let's be honest, if it had been you or if it had been me, I don't think we would have done anything different than this man did. We would be thinking about our own family about our own inheritance. And that's why what happened next is so, so amazing. Look at verses 7 through 10. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was a method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Milan. 
I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, Milan's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family and from the town records. Today, you are witnesses. Earlier last week, I, I closed on a new home. But in order to do so, in order to get my name and Kim's name on that title, we had to sign a stack of papers that was 96 pages long. This is what it takes nowadays for, for property to be transferred from one person to the next. But in ancient Israel, one just had to, had to take off their sandal and give it to the next. Oh, how I long for simpler times. <laughs> well, this custom was not only a custom of Israel, but it was a custom of the many cultures in the ancient Near East, as sandals were, were symbolic of possession. They were symbolic of dominion. For, for to step foot on a piece of property was to lay claim or lay ownership of that property. This is why when Moses approached the burning bush, God had commanded him to take off his sandals, for the place that he was standing was holy ground. In other words, he was walking in the kingdom of God, and Moses needed to acknowledge that it was Yahweh's dominion. Well, with this giving of the sandal in the view of the elders and in the view of pretty much everyone else in town, this nearer kinsman was basically signing the documents, allowing Boaz the legal right to purchase this land from Naomi. And what is so amazing is that Boaz didn't waste any time in making it official. He made it clear to everyone that was there that he would not only purchase this property, but also marry Ruth the Moabitess. And that he would do so in order to maintain the name of Elimelech. Just as Naomi had promised Ruth beforehand, this man did not rest until the matter was settled that day. Again, was, was he obligated to do this? No, he wasn't. He, he could have done the same thing that that nearer kinsman had done. He could have said no. He could have refused to redeem. But that's not what he did. Rather, he sacrificed his own inheritance, his own wealth for the sake of Naomi and for the sake of her daughter Ruth. And that's what a true redeemer does. He demonstrates his hesed love through sacrifice. He displays his unfailing loyalty to those who are helpless, to those who cannot save themselves. He rescues them at a personal cost of his own. Dear friends, if, if you are in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then this story that we just read is your story. For you too have a redeemer. You have one who has made a sacrifice in order to purchase you. 
And he bought you with his own blood, blood that was shed upon the cross. And if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know this one who who paid that ultimate price, might I suggest that you get to know him, that you would turn to him, trust in him, for only he has the power to redeem At the beginning of my sermon, I I asked you this question. What are you obligated to do? And we talked about worldly obligations, right? The obligation of a student. The obligation of a worker. But when it comes to God, when it comes to your Father in Heaven, what are you obligated to do towards Him? What is required? It is in his law that you discover these obligations. All the you shalls and and you shall nots. And yet because you come from a fallen race, because you are born into sin, you fall short of those obligations. And thus, you owe a great debt to your creator. You become slaves to, to sin and need to be redeemed. You need to be purchased by one who is powerful. You need to be bought by one who is strong. You need to be redeemed by one who is willing to make that sacrifice. And the good news is this. Just as Naomi and Ruth had Boaz, you have Jesus Christ. You have one who was willing to pay that price. Even though that price meant shedding his own blood. Even though that price meant having to share his own inheritance. For in redeeming you, you have become a child of God. In redeeming you, you have become an heir. This is your new standing in Jesus Christ. You you are no longer a child of the devil. You are no longer an enemy of God. But you have been adopted, adopted into God's family. And you are no longer condemned by your obligation to the law. Because Jesus Christ went beyond his obligation in order to redeem you. You see, Jesus did not have to go to the cross for you. He did not have to do that. Yet he chose to do that out of his hesed love for each and every one of you. And because of that, because of what he did, he is worthy of your praise. He is worthy of your blessing. And it is both praise and blessing that we find in our final verses. Look at at verses 11 and 12. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. We are witnesses. 
But the elders and the crowds that surrounded them had now officially recognized this transaction. It is now both legal and binding. But that's not the only thing that they recognized. For they too understood the sacrifice that Boaz was making. And they blessed him because of it. And by invoking the name of Yahweh, this community confirmed Ruth's acceptance into that community. For she now shared their same God. She was no longer a Moabitess. Rather, she was a true Israelite. She was the wife of Boaz. They then compared her to both Rachel and Leah, the wives of their father Jacob. The ones who had given to him 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. Their prayer was that Ruth would would become fertile like these women. But they went beyond, for they then compared her to Tamar, who bore Perez. And in so doing, they, they have welcomed her in, not just to Israel, but into the tribe of Judah. For she was now a redeemed woman, just as Tamar was redeemed by Judah. And as for Boaz, they then prayed for him, prayed for him to have standing in Ephrathah, the leading clan of Judah. They wanted him to become famous in Bethlehem. For for he had demonstrated a, a Hesed love unlike any other. For he had redeemed these two women. And when he redeemed them, He also redeemed the names of their dead husbands. And now the only question that remained was this. Would God hear these blessings? Would God answer their prayers? Would Ruth bear a son to Boaz? Or would this all be for naught? The answer to that question would be in the hands of Yahweh. Both the giver and taker of life. And we'll find out that answer next week. For now, let us pray. Father, when we look at this story and and at the sacrifice that Boaz had made, we are reminded of what your son had to sacrifice for us. How he purchased us through his own blood. Blood that was shed upon the cross. And for that, we are truly, truly grateful. And so we praise his name. For he went beyond what he was obligated to do. And he did so because he loved us. He he chose us. And so now we ask that, that you would move within our hearts. That, that we might show that same sacrificial love to those around us. That we might go beyond our obligations. That we might go to those who are lost, those who do not know you yet, and show them this Hesed love. We can only do this through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.